Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you for joining for another episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. I am joined by Andrew Goulding, a.k.a. Captain Brossom. And you're the developer of Jolly Rover, MacGuffin's Curse, and the upcoming game, Warp Frontier. Well, depending on when people listen to this episode, uh, it's upcoming. Uh, hello, Andrew. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks. Um, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, no worries. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for thank you for joining me. I I was very, very tempted to say Captain Brossom, at least to attempt it in an Australian accent, but I was just thinking there is no way that that would end well. So I thought, no, <laughs> I won't even try it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, uh, when I was in uh, the UK, I lived in the UK for a while and um, people didn't think I had an accent. And that's yeah. because I, I can turn it on and off. So if I wanted to say like Captain Brawson or, you know, I could, uh, and it depends on what words I say. You know, if you say any Australian animals like wallaby or kangaroo, you know, it, it, it kind of comes out. <laughs> but um, I, I, otherwise I'm... I'm I'm, uh, I guess I have a city accent rather than a more rural Australian accent. Yeah, I, I mean, just speaking to you now, um, I don't notice a strong Australian accent from you either. That's that's kind of, that's kind of funny you mentioned that. I mean, I probably guessed that you're from Australia, but I'd be like, no, it's not a hugely strong accent that I. People say the same about me about my, you know, Irish accent. That I say it's not a strong uh, Irish accent. As people say it is. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if, I. I, I when it comes to accents, um, my, my grandparents are Scottish, uh, so oh. they, and they had a very broad Scottish accent. They came to Australia when they were in their thirties, uh, maybe forties. Um, so I have Scottish on one side and then my dad is Anglo Indian. Um, so he has he English, but uh, with a slight Indian accent. Um, and I didn't know that either of my parents had accents when, when I was a kid. So I just <laughs> kind of had this pseudo accent, I guess. Yes, it's a ni- nice mixture there of Scottish, English, Indian. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure if we go further back, we might find other things, other countries or other cultures. <laughs> yeah, and my wife is Irish-Australian, so my kids are an even more interesting mix. <laughs> well, good mixture of Irish, Scottish, uh, Indian, English, you know, family there. That, that's amazing, actually. I love how, you know, because... I delved into my, I promise we will talk about your games now uh, very shortly, <laughs> but I did my own uh, ancestry and it's really amazing to see, you know, what, who your ancestors, you know, where they came from. Uh, Cause I also have uh, Scottish ancestors from mm-hmm. a, a town of Dunbar, which I still haven't visited. Um, oh. But I'd love to visit there just to, you know, well, just to, you know, reclaim back my castle, but <laughs> That would be cool, yeah. The um, my clan is Clan Farkerson, oh. and um, uh, it's my grandparents hail from a place near Renfrewshire, um, uh, which is near near Glasgow, I guess. Okay. Oh well, that's cool. Well, we should go. We should hopefully meet up sometime in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I guess for anyone listening from India, my um, my dad's from a village um, or a town. It's called uh, Rajamandri. Um, which is near um, 
oh, I can't remember the town. It's, is it still called Bombay? No, I don't know. Is it Bombay, Mumbai? Mumbai, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've never been to India. I don't know a huge amount. So apologies if I get uh, pronunciation wrong about that. But um, no, that's really interesting. Now, I could talk to you about our roots all day, but I suppose we should talk about <laughs> your adventure games at some point. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> which is, I mean, should I start at the beginning? <laughs> uh, well, as before we talk about your adventure games, because you've made uh, made a few, um, mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could uh, tell us, uh, well, what are your favorite adventure games? Do you have any favorite adventure games? So did you have any favorite games when you were, when you were growing up? Or did you play any recent games as well? Or um, I, I think the first game I really fell in love with was, was Space Quest 2. Now, mm-hmm. I kind of came in, um, you know, just at, at a point where, you know, I, I didn't know the history. I didn't know about the King's Quests or Space Quest 1 even. Um, I just had a friend who had Space Quest 2. And um, at those days, you know, you just get on your bike and you go to a friend's house and say, what, what games have you got? And you, you, you copy them on your, on your discs. Um, so I was uh, always uh, fighting against copy protection um, in, in those days. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've since tried to amass my collection and buy those games that I loved. But um, it was uh, Space Quest 2 and then followed by Quest for Glory, um, the original EGA version, which I loved. Uh, and then uh, I discovered uh, Monkey Island and the whole series of, of LucasArts games. And I, as a kid um, in, in primary school, I, I must have spent months just walking around the town of um, Melee. What was the town? Oh, Melee yeah, Island. Melee Island, yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't know what to do. Um, <laughs> it was not until I, you know, went and talked to someone at school that I found out I could get, I could get to Monkey Island. And, and that was like a huge revelation for me because I had just been walking around, looking at everything, <laughs> picking up everything. Um, but I, I just, uh, you know, f- from then on, I loved everything LucasArts, especially the Sam and Max series. Mm. Um, I mostly gravitated towards comedic games. I, I loved um, the humor um, in the LucasArts and these Sierra games. So all through the, the, Quest for Glory and Space Quest um, series, uh, any, anything kind of Lucas put out. Um, I, I did have a special affinity for the dig. It's probably one of the mm. most, um, uh, well, the least funny games that, that I really enjoyed. And I think it's because the atmosphere was just amazing. You know, yes. I still listen to the soundtrack yes. for the dig. Um, no, and I, it was. I, yeah, so go ahead, sorry. Oh, I mean, all, all of these things have influenced, you know, the games that I've made. Um, including my newest one, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's just funny you mentioned the dig because I really enjoyed it. Now I know that some people don't like it because of the puzzles. You know, there are some very very difficult. Uh, we, could, we could probably say some illogical puzzles in the game mm-hmm. as well, especially take the turtle puzzle, uh, which is fair enough, I think. And it's as you mentioned, uh, possibly the only LucasArts adventure game that's not comedic. Although I found there was a lot of dry humor in it. From the I love character humor, yeah. yeah. With um, just from the beginning, just one example I remember when uh, Maggie, the journalist, is speaking to I can't remember the main character's name, and she said, "If I'm talking to radio, do I say Roger at the end?" And then the main character says, "Sure, if your name is Roger." <laughs> and I just <laughs> found that hilarious. And when he said, um, "Is this a rock?" or knowing my luck, it's a hand grenade. So <laughs> it's uh, there's still some humor, but I love the story and the atmosphere, as you mentioned. 
um, yeah. as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it felt really different, you know. Um, mm. It felt like like no other kind of alien world that you'd been to before. And then you discovered that there's life on the world and there was, mm. you know, a history to it. And it just really sucks you in. Um, but just looking at an alien skyline, there's something really alluring about that, I think. Mm. Oh, no, it, it it was, you know, I, I, I agree. I really loved, you know, just exploring that and, um, and the, the introduction, I think I loved. They actually, someone made a HD version of the introduction and I was kind of like, God, I wish that they would remake the game like that. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, no, we can, we can dream. Well, thanks for us. Are there any recent games that you've played or have you had time <laughs> to play any recent games? Um, yeah. So I, I, I played Unavowed, Dave's game. Um, oh yeah. That was, um, that was, that was really great. Um, I, I don't pick up all of Dave's games, but um, I, I, I picked up this one and um, yeah, he did a really good job. I mean, he doesn't need more praise. He's done, you know, uh, <laughs> he's, had fantas- he's had a fantastic <laughs> run with that game. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, also, I, I got, I think I got a free copy of Kathy Rain. I think they might've had mm. a free weekend and it sat in my Steam list for ages as games do. Um, but then I, I sat down and I played it and I, I thought it was really well put together. Um, I really liked what they were doing there. Um, there was a bit too much swearing for my liking because I was playing it with the kids in the background. Ooh, and I'm like, yeah. oh, I have to <laughs> stop that. Um, and then I played the next game, Whispers of Machine, which um, I think had some really interesting mechanics in it. Um, and um, what else have I played recently? Um, I played, um, oh, in, in kind of recent times, um, the Nelson Tethers series from Telltale was um, was really cool. Um, that had a really dry humor. Speaking of dry humor, it wasn't <laughs> like laugh out loud, funny like Sam and Max. It was very, mm. very straight down the line. Um, I also liked um, Firewatch as yes. well. Um, that and I wish I could have played that in VR. I think it would. That game seems yes. to be made for VR. Um, and then finally, I played the. Um, Oh, Thimbleweed Park. Yes. Um, and um, I thought I really liked the ending because I like kind of more obscure Interesting. endings. Interesting. Because um, I know it's been and, very divisive, yes. the ending. <laughs> well, I, I've talked to Ron on, on a couple of occasions at a, at a couple of GDCs, and um, he likes um, things that are left unexplained, up, you know, mm. kind of up to the user. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but we like um, similar movies that have uh, – uh, beginnings and endings that um, will make you scratch your head, like Space Odyssey two thousand and one. Oh yeah, um, like <laughs> don't like don't treat us, don't treat the audience like idiots. Like give them something that's that's maybe a bit odd and and let them figure it out for themselves. Yeah, well, anyone who's played Monkey Island two will know that Ron Gilbert likes open endings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Shall we say, and Timberwind Park as well. It's um, yeah, no, again, that sort of that was very. Uh, divisive but yeah it's uh it's certainly very interesting <laughs> um although i personally i i prefer the ending in timberweed park to monkey island too i think you know you can if you read the clues you can nearly guess where it's going but um but yeah i don't want to say too much more obviously i don't want to spoil timberweed park but um yeah I, no, as a kid i was I was massively disappointed with Monkey Island 2's ending. I'm like, mm. what? It was all the dream, essentially. Um, I was just, I, I felt almost mm. cheated. Like all of the game that I'd played up until now, it, it didn't exist. And I was like, oh, this is such a cop-out. Um, 
and then in my, you know, the, the, the sequel to that, um, I also felt that the, um, the explanation for it was a little bit lame. <laughs> the kind you know, of like, yeah, so this was, this was a curse. So. Yeah. Hand wavy <laughs> and yeah. And let, let's just move on to another story. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, again, we could spend hours discussing uh, what is the secret of Monkey Island. I think you may have mentioned that Bill Tiller uh, gave an interview before where uh, he said basically it was that, I think. Now, we'll, Ron Gilbert has never mentioned it. So, you know, who knows what he had in store? Um, but- I, I mean, if I, was, if I was to speculate, I'd say the secret of Monkey Island is the fact that there um, is, is hell under Monkey Island. Um, mm. And that's a secret. And you know, nobody, nobody figured it out. People kept asking Ron. So he's just like, oh, well, it's, it's a secret. (laughs) (laughs) Does he know, do you think? Um, Yes, I I think he does. Okay. Um, Yeah. I tried to get it out of him, but yeah, because I don't know if he was just, uh, you know, saying, oh, there was a secret of it all planned out. And then he might've been like, oh, I don't know. I just made it up. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe he made the secret so obvious. Um, that nobody got it, and he's just like, "Well, I'm just going to hold on to this then." Yeah, and it certainly adds to the mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, oh well, that, that's yeah. Uh, I mean, that's certainly very interesting theory, at least, and might be closer. I'm sure what do people think. But um, anyway, back to your games. Um, mm-hmm. Because wh- when did you uh, start a studio? Is it is it Brawsome Studio or is it just Brawsome? Yeah. Um, it's just Brawsome. And where did that um, name come from? Bro- yeah, sorry. Well, it's actually a, a, a sign of my Scottish roots because um, bro and um, awesome. And I just uh, combined mm. the two and um, I was looking for, uh, you know, I had 50 names for a studio and I just wanted one that would pass the Google test, which is <laughs> when you type it into Google, nothing comes up. And so and so that's why I went with that name, because it was, um, you know, if you type that in, you get you get my company first. And it's not this similar to anything else. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's a great idea, actually, the Google test. We try to go yes. with something unique. Because I always thought that it would be kind of like Australian. As I said, I wanted to say it in an Australian accent. but um, awesome, but yeah. Yeah, but it's, you probably could say it in a Scottish accent. <laughs> but awesome, yeah. Um, oh, and so wh- when did you officially start a company then? Well, I started in, in 2008. Um, so, I mean, a bit of my background, I, I did a computer science degree, which um, uh, I graduated in early 2000s. Um, and then I really wanted to get into the games industry, but um, I didn't have a portfolio. Um, you know, most of the people that worked in the games industry at the time had started developing games when they were 12. And uh, I didn't realize that you needed to do that. So um, I moved into the simulation industry. So I was working as a contractor for the Defence Force, making radar and, and, and communication simulation software. Uh, but in my spare time, I was making game demos and, and trying to put together a portfolio to get into the games industry. So in uh, 2002, I, st- I, I got a job part-time as a tester at a company. Um, and then they you know, roundabout, they, they had to let me go because the company was doing well. But then in 2004, I ended up getting an engineering job at the same company. And uh, I spent about a year and a half there before I wanted to travel. So uh, I ended up uh, getting a job at Codemasters in um, Leamington Spa. And I was working on one of the uh, first Colin McRae games with the Dirt um, title because uh, I was really into rally games as well. 
Um, and then we wanted to come back to Australia to start a family. So I ended up getting another job at a company called Tantalus, um, where I worked on a Cars Pixar game for the DS and then um, wanted to get out of engineering. So I moved into a company called Chrome Studios um, as an assistant producer, where I worked on Star Wars The Force Unleashed. Um, but while I was doing that, uh, I really wanted to, I'd always wanted to work on an adventure game. Um, since about 2004, I had written a little pirate adventure game, like an introduction for a pirate adventure. And um, I had a little design document and I was always talking to every company that I worked at um, uh, about you know, possibly making this for the DS. And um, it ne never really got picked up. And then in 2008, I was talking to Dave Gilbert about you know a collaboration perhaps um, where I could work with him, help him out with a game or, or so. And um, he said, oh, well, I've just got uh, some funding from uh, Play First to make these adventure game um, based on the, uh, the Oz universe, which was Emerald City Confidential. And uh, I've got a budget, you know, I need an engineer to, um, to put it together in their particular engine because previously he'd only used Adventure Game Studio. Um, but they had a particular engine and they assumed that he was an engineer. And he's like, well, no, I'm not really an engineer. I'm more of a scripter. So um, I came on board and worked on that part time. So I'd get up at five in the morning and I'd work for Dave for three hours. And then I'd go off to my day job and, and I'd come home and go to bed super early so I could get up the next day. And I, I did that for about three months before. And I should also say we just had our first child at the time. So she wasn't oh, sleeping wow. very well. <laughs> and um I was just in, I guess, this just haze of stress for about three months. And then I said to my wife, like, I, I think I can, I can do this. You know, I, I can do this full time. And so she said, okay, we'll have a go. So um, I, I quit my, my day job and I, I started working for Dave and um, we finished Emerald City Confidential. And then um, from there um, I was, I went to my first GDC and um, I was shopping around my my uh, adventure game, which um, I had since turned into a, a pirate dog adventure as opposed to just a regular pirate adventure um, and uh, couldn't get any funding for that um, and then ended up getting uh, applying for a government grant, which um, I thought was only for big studios at the time, but somebody who previously had run a big studio and uh, was now an indie developer looked at my pitch and said, oh, I think you could get funding for this. This is actually really good. And um, so I applied and I got some funding for it and started developing uh, Jelly Rover in about 2009. Uh, and then it released in 2010. Yeah, I can't believe it, uh, it was released in 2010. It feels like yesterday <laughs> that I was reading about it, that I was reading on Adventure Gamers that, and I see, saw a trailer for, I think this was even before YouTube, Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that or maybe when YouTube had just had first started, uh, because I was, before this interview, I was just checking your games again, and I read, you know, Johnny Rover coming out in 2010. I was like, no, that can't be 10, <laughs> 11 years ago. Um, yeah, and those were the days where to get a game on Steam, you had to go to the US, sit down with Valve, and say, hey, would you like, you know, turn the <laughs> laptop around, have a look at this game? What do you think? Should it go on your platform? And they're like, Okay, yeah. Send us a build when it's when it's ready, and we'll take another look at it. Did, did Steam exist back then? Yeah, yeah. I wow. mean, it exists. I think it existed from is it? It's either Half Life or um, 
what's their Counter-Strike days. So, um, I mean, the, the story of um, Valve yeah. is interesting because it's kind of Half-Life came from Sierra and they, you yes. know, they, they, they bought that. And, and then because um, Half-Life is like a FPS adventure game. And yeah. it just it, it seems like something that Sierra would have made if they'd if they hadn't collapsed. Yeah, well, if anyone who's read uh, Ken Williams' book would uh, know that he wished he had made it. Mm. Um, but uh, no, so without Sierra, we would never have had Steam. <laughs> you could say. You could almost say that, yeah. Really? Well, yeah, maybe that's a stretch, but um, no. But so, so then for Johnny Rover, then congratulations on getting the grant. I know it was ten years ago, but that's you know it got you started on. So then with um, Jerry Rover, how did you get the idea for uh, you know, a dog adventure game? Because this was right now, there's you know, almost a subgenre of animal adventure games. Um, right. Uh, but back then, 10 years ago, I imagine there wasn't any other games like it. Um, so how did you get the idea for it? Um, well, <clears throat> so the, the original working title for um, Jolly Rover was called Just Another Pirate Adventure. Um, <laughs> and I had previously made an a very small AGS adventure um, called Just Another Point and Click Adventure, which was really just me figuring out the engine. So I built my house and my room and added a little quest. And um, it was a very kind of silly game. You know, um, I was going to, I only made part one of, of three parts, but the, the whole thing was I was, the characters, myself and my brother were going to get uh, uh, on, onto a reality TV show that would uh, take you to uh, an island a remote island where you would find some real pirate treasure um but uh, i only finished the first part of it as a lot of ags games go mm. um so i was i had these characters as as human characters for a long time and then i was working with um a concept artist and we we just couldn't get the look of the human characters right you know it looked a little bit too much like curse of monkey island and I was like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to make another Monkey Island clone or, or something that looks like it. Um, and then I said, well, you know, what can we do to fix this? And I, I think I just had the idea um, to say, well, what if, what if the characters were dogs, you know, like scurvy dogs, you know, uh, dogs, you know, pirates are obviously called, you know, the dogs of the sea. And, um, and so he, he drew like the, the lead character as, uh, as a dachshund, uh, a sausage dog. And um, I just went, oh, this is it, you know. Um, <laughs> you found it. So we, yeah. So we had all all the other characters redrawn as as dogs, and because um, we had all the characters as humans to begin with, and then I had to go through and look at the characters and pick dog versions of them, and like, oh, this one looks like a bulldog, or this one looks like one of those big, skinny, hairy dogs that you you see, and um, so yeah. And then once it became dogs, I'm like, oh, this this feels this feels different. Like I really like the angle. Um, and I wanted to go for, whereas Monkey Island is, is kind of, it's almost theme park pirate. I wanted to go uh, authentic pirate law, but obviously with a lot of dog puns in there. Mm. Yeah, no, it was, it's, a, it's a few years since I played it, but I think it's a testament to the quality of the game that I still remember parts of, because I've played many games, many adventure games since then. And some of them, you know, I've, I've forgotten about. Uh, but this game, it's it's always kept, you know, in my subconscious, at least, you know, somewhere in the mind. I keep, you know, remembering it and keep thinking about it sometimes. So it's it's always had some of some effect on me. Um, yeah, I've had people say, you know, you should make another Jolly Rover. And 
And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But I guess not the critical mass that I need to really make me think, oh, this could work. I mean, maybe there's a, a Kickstarter in the, in the future, but um, mm. I flip-flop back and forth. Sometimes when I read people saying, oh, this is just under Monkey Island clone, I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to have to deal with that anymore. I know. it's it's It must be kind of frustrating at times, like if you make a pirate adventure and it's instantly mm. compared to Monkey Island. Now, I know, I'm guessing monkey island was one inspiration but then again monkey island was based on a disney ride so that's not exactly hugely <laughs> um wasn't exactly you know just ron gilbert's idea either but as, as i said to you before recording you know it's it's again a testament to the quality of jolly rover that it's um you know it, it's unique it stands on its own you don't need to have played monkey island it's not you know like it's not a monkey island ripoff it, it's its own thing so it's a testament to the quality uh, of of that game, but um, but but do, do do many people still compare it to Monkey Island, or do they just say you know it's a Monkey Island kind of rip off still, or do you have more people say like appreciate it for what it is? Um, well, yeah, to be honest, m- more people do appreciate it for what it That's is good. than not. Um, <laughs> but you, you know, as as all developers, you just you you do focus on the vocal minority that mm. um, are, are very critical about your games, and I think some people want to. S- see certain things in a game and i think if you really really want to see a game a certain way you can convince yourself that it is a certain way um so i mean i i stand by it i I know what i made and i know Mm. what i didn't make um and uh i should ignore those vocal minority yeah as much as i I can but it's hard i know because i'm i'd be similar you know if say 99 people reviewed it positively but there's one even if it's not completely negative if they say oh but one kind of negative point that's what i would sort of think about that's, uh, yeah but, that's the one that you you leave and you you walk around thinking, oh, man <laughs> is, did they have a point there i don't think so but maybe but i'm guessing that uh you know the people the vocal minority who may have uh, just simply dismissed it as a Monkey Island clone, probably haven't played it or haven't completed it. Or maybe they're disappointed it's not like Monkey Island. <laughs> yeah, I think um, a, a trait of my games is that you kind of have to complete them to understand them. Mm. Um, if if you only play the first 10, 20 minutes, um, you, you don't normally get all of what the game is trying to tell you because... Um, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm of that same mindset uh, of, of Ron Gilbert in that don't don't treat the players like idiots. Don't give everything away at the beginning, um, mm. and you know uh, respect that players will you know the, will understand your game you know, given enough time, um, which is absolutely the wrong way to sell a game these days. Uh, you know you need to kind of hook people immediately, and they have to know exactly what's happening. Um, uh, whereas I like to keep it a little bit more vague and a little bit more meandery. But I think once you get to the end, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what he was he was trying to trying to do here. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And that, that's especially true of Warp Frontier, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about talk in a bit. It. Yeah. No, it's it's the instant gratification now that people want. It's like immediately they want to know what's happening. But I kind of like that. That you ease your way into the game. And, you know, you're not quite sure. It's like, oh, maybe it's something different to what I expected. Or let's see, you know, because, you know, I, what I like is like a, kind of a mystery to keep me going. Yeah. Uh, to, to see what's happening. And, and I, from what I remember, Jolly Rover had that, you know, the characters as well. 
And I, I remember I was like, yeah, no, I really want to know what, what's happening. Like, I don't know as even from the first 15, 20 minutes, but I'm, it always held my interest. And even still, I still think about it. Like, obviously, I've forgotten some of it. And I'm sure if I replay it, a lot of it will be like new to me again. But I still, you know, think about it. So your game has had a lasting influence. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, all, I'm not just saying that because you're here, but <laughs> <laughs> all, all the characters have have quite significant backstories, and I, mm. I got this from um, Tim Schafer did a talk at GDC um, in the early 2000s. I can't remember what it was called, but um, he talked about uh, development of the characters for Psychonauts and um, how he would create these character sheets uh, for each of the characters, and he shared like what he would put into each of the character sheets. So I just went, all right, yeah, that's that sounds like a great idea. I'm I'm going to create character sheets in a similar style for 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 my games, and um, he even went as far as creating little Facebook pages for the characters and having them send messages to wow. each other back and forth, <laughs> so we could really get into their heads a great sense of their dialogue. Um, and I don't, I don't go that far, but um, I definitely want to think about oh where they've come from, you know, what are their motivations? And Tim had um, you know a really great list of kind of dot points to. Uh, to think about for each character, you know, like what are their strengths, weaknesses, what are their likes, you know, um, any physical features that that you know that that make them stronger or or, or weaker or self-conscious, and um, and I, I still keep that spreadsheet for all of the characters that I, I make in all of my games. Um, it's unnecessary, but um, I, I think it helps mm. when when I come to write dialogue. Which the way I write dialogue is mostly on the fly as I'm implementing the game. So I have. A situation i have the characters and then i'm like well okay what would these characters say and um i write uh, a lot of verbose dialogue and then end up cutting half of it which i think is uh is, is a good way to do it i don't know yeah i mean it's whatever works it seems to work for you so far and then again if you're uh you know using that spreadsheet again it worked on johnny Ro- rover and i'm guessing it worked on warp frontier as well and sure who else who better to uh, you know, get get advice from than Tim Schafer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's 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 the master of of character development and yeah, especially you, dialogue. Yeah, you can't really go wrong <laughs> uh, from him. But um, but yeah, so Jolly Rover is available. It's, it's on Steam. Is it is on GOG as well? I think I played it on GOG. If I'm not uh, mistaken, no, no, actually, it's not. Um, I oh, tried to I didn't. get it. I tried to get it onto GOG um, after. Uh, it on Steam and they they kind of snubbed me, I guess. They were like, ugh, it's oh. on Steam and it's out already, so don't worry about it. Okay. Um, well it's on Steam. Uh, so <laughs> but um yeah, that, that that was that was a little disappointing. Um Warp Frontier is on is on GOG. GOG. And, Perfect. Um, I was I, I really wanted to get in with them initially because there's a lot of great adventure games on GOG and I mm. see getting on there as kind of like a validation that oh okay your adventure game is worth yeah, yeah they, they don't just accept anybody that's true yeah <laughs> i got i got rejected twice for what frontier before they eventually picked it up well, well congratulations well before we get to warp frontier you had another game after jolly rover called mcguffin's curse which now mcguffin is a scottish name i believe uh it is and it's also just uh you know, a plot device uh, oh, oh, like so, the oh yes, the MacGuffin, yes, yes. I didn't think of that actually. <laughs> From Hitchcock, I think mm. um, had this. This is the MacGuffin. This is what we're, um, you know, we're trying to get the plot. You know, that drives the plot forward. Um, so I wanted. I, I thought that would be fun to um, to to have as a 
as a, as a, as a, a game name. And it was initially uh, going to be called Urban Wolf because it's about um, a thief that uh, picks up a, a cursed amulet and uh, finds out that he can turn into a werewolf in the moonlight. Um, but Urban Wolf is a, a brand of dog food, um, a swanky brand of dog food. So that failed the Google test. Um, but, <laughs> but MacGuffin's Curse surprisingly did. Um, the, the only problem with the name is that um, you can either spell it M-A-C or M-C. Um, mm. We spell it M-A-C, which I think is a, is a Scottish uh, version. I think M-C might be an Irish version. But, I think um, so, yeah, po- possibly. Yeah, that's, yeah. But you went to um, the, with the Scottish way then. <laughs> yes, and um, so I, I just registered both domain names, MacGuffin and MacGuffin. <laughs> and um, and so they both send you to the same place. Um, but so that was, um, so I really liked adventure games and um, Jolly Rover, in hindsight, uh, I didn't realise at the time, in hindsight did well for an adventure game, but I thought it did very poorly. Um, I guess I, I must have had to adjust my expectations. So I was like, well, you know, what can I do to... Um, to get a game that's more sustainable. So, you know, can help build the studio. And um, a friend of mine who um, I met at a, a game conference, um, uh, Ben Cosmina, he came to me with an idea that, oh, maybe we could make, you know, a puzzle game, but, you know, that feels like an adventure game. And um, he had uh, an old kind of Nintendo game that um, he liked the look of, which is, um, it's it's a game where you play a mole and, um, you you can go you can switch between above ground and below ground, and so it's the it's the one puzzle scene, but there's two different sides to it. And he was like, "Well, what if you know it could be like a you you're a werewolf, and the the different um, the scenes were not above ground and below ground, but they were night and day. So different things would happen in the night, and different things would happen in the daytime. Um, we didn't end up doing that. We ended up having just patches of moonlight and the, the werewolf would have different abilities to the human. Mm. Um, and this would allow you to um, solve like Sokoban type, you know, Sokoban is like a block pushing kind of game where you've got um, a series of boxes in a warehouse and you need to get them from one spot to another. Um, and you can only push the boxes, you can't pull them. And mm. um, so there's a series of puzzle games based on, on Sokoban, that, that, that idea. Um, so we, it, it is, it is similar in that you need to push a, a battery from, um, one space, uh, in, in a level to another space in order to unlock the doors that, that lead to the next scene. Um, so it's, it's a combination of, you know, this, uh, kind of mole game, soccer barn, um, and this werewolf mechanic where you have one character that has two very different modes of, of, of transportation. So I, I felt like the puzzle um, aspect of it was quite solid and um then we we co-wrote um the the story and the the dialogue and um ben and uh, a friend of his um uh alistair um oh he's in the credits um alistair <laughs> craig um they went and wrote um look at descriptions for thousands and thousands of items in the game so there's all of these unique lookouts, which are very funny, um, but um, it created a, a localization nightmare. Um, suddenly it would be very expensive to localize this game. So um, anyway, that's an aside. Um, so I, I spent about uh, a year developing MacGuffin's Curse, spent 
more money than I did on Jolly Rover and, and more marketing. And I felt like I really did it right. But um, when it released, it, it released to um, even less sales than, than Jolly Rover. And um, I think we found that the Venn diagram between people who like puzzle games and adventure games was, was quite thin um, really? in the middle. Yeah. So some people really love it. So like, if you really like story and, and you really like puzzles, um, then it's just the game for you. But if you kind of lean more one way or the other, um, then, you know, this the story element might frustrate you or the puzzle element might fr frustrate you. So, for example, my wife likes puzzle games, um, but when the story elements came in, she was click, 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 click. <laughs> like, and then like, what, what, what am I supposed to be doing now? I'm like, well, you should have <laughs> paid attention. Um, and then some people like the story, but then they're like, oh, these puzzles take forever. Uh, mm. You know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm bored with the puzzles and they're really hard. And um, so we... I, I don't think we really struck that balance, but um, you know, I, I really, I really love that game, and I love the yeah. characters that that we developed in it. Um, I've got a little character in there. Um, her name's Ruby, and she's a a little girl with with masses of red hair, like kind of brave style of red hair, and um, she's kind of based off my daughter at the time, um, oh. who also has masses of red hair, <laughs> red curly hair, and um, uh, just. That was the first game. Well, at Jolly Rover, I, I focus on family a little bit because Jolly, he wants to be like his dad and, mm. um, you know, he loses his father and he's, he's always, you know, feels guilty that um, he never became the clown that he promised he would be. Um, and then MacGuffin's Curse, it's, it's all about Lucas just trying to um, keep his uh, family fed um, by... Uh, thieving. He used to be a magician, but then magic was outlawed in the in the town, uh, which is another MacGuffin, I guess. <laughs> um, and uh, so, and I, I really like to focus on the the, the dynamic between Lucas um, and his daughter and his his grandma as well, along with a lot a lot of his characters uh, in the town. Yeah, no, I, I haven't played it uh, yet myself, but I remember reading good reviews about it. And, uh, you know, the people... It, it was reviewed well. Yeah. Mm. And uh, it, it looks kind of like different. I mean, it looks different to Jolly Rover. It's with top-down view. And as you... it, I don't know if uh, it looks like an RPG game, like a top-down as a JRP. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, misreading it, but... Um, it's, uh, it's surprising that you mentioned that to people, you know, like with the puzzles and the story, because you think that's like typical adventure games, uh, certainly of the 90s and early 2000s. Um, but no, it's, it's a shame to hear it didn't do as, you know, so, so well. H has it picked up an audience in the meantime? Like, has it become like a cult um, or something? Have people fa found out about it uh, over time? No, Jolly, Jolly Rover actually still sell, sells more copies than, than MacGuffin. Um, oh, okay. I, it could find life on the switch um so that that's something i've had in the back of my mind like, like oh i think this would be perfect for the switch um mm. and and maybe you know I'll, I'll end up taking it there before the switch you know runs out of life um but uh it's an old if you're a developer it's a unity project that's over 10 years old which yeah. uh, um is very very difficult to recover um you know and get up to date with the latest version of unity so um there's probably a different unity versions updating it you know 
uh, a little bit at a time and, and trying to get it to the latest version. So um, from a dev perspective, it's a bit of a nightmare to try to resurrect it. If um, Right, you yeah. Don't keep your Unity versions up to date. Your games kind of die. Um, but what was I going to say? So, it, yeah, it, um, it won an award for... Um, Best Game Writing, uh, a narrative award at a, at a local festival. Um, it was also selected in the first um, PAX 10, which in in, um, okay. in Australia. So PAX South, um, the inaugural event, Guffin's Curse, was like one of the showcase games there. And um, it it did get good reviews. Um, and I, I think it's I think it's a solid game, but it just doesn't, it's a, it's an odd game. It's very story heavy and it's very puzzle heavy. So it, um, you know, it, it only really appeals to a certain type of person. Right. Well, hopefully they're listening to this podcast <laughs> and, and they can discover yeah. the game then. Um, yeah. It'd be great oh. to see a bit more love from MacGuffin's Curse. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And I'm just actually reading here that Jolly Rover won Australian Game of the Year. Was yes. That a- yes, it wow. did. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. I did so, not know um, that. <laughs> yeah. So back. Back then, I think there were a lot less indies. Um, these days, the, the competition, and it's, it's fantastic. The competition is, is, um, is very, very high um, for independent developers because in 2008, the, uh, the games industry, he kind of imploded during the GFC, uh, the global financial crisis. I think mm. not everyone uses those, that acronym. Um, and a lot of uh, the Australian dollar went, through the roof it went it was more valuable than the american dollar and uh australia was really reliant on american investment in the games industry and when it became too expensive to develop games here a lot of the big studios collapsed um so from the ashes of that uh a lot of independent developers uh sprung up and in the last 10 years they've really come into their own and um you know been able to compete on a world stage um so uh, there's some really great stuff coming out of australia right now um so obviously the competition's a, a lot higher um haven't won any awards for uh warp frontier yet but um there's still time well it still has to be released first mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know we, we, we should see because it's, it's looking good and speaking of warp frontier we're finally getting there to the game that you're <laughs> about to release you know with a lot of as you've mentioned in your game there's some you know build up and like this interview, <laughs> so the big game now, Warp Frontier, which certainly looks very different to the two games we um, sp- just spoke about. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a gap between well, Warp Frontier and then MacGuffin's Curse. Um, d- did you make any games in the meantime, in the last eight or nine years or so? Or um, Yeah, so there was, uh, after MacGuffin's Curse, I, I, I did a lot of contract work because... Um, it felt like I had to build up um, my my finances again in order to to ha- make another game. Um, so re- MacGuffin's Coast released in in 2012, and um, I was like, I'll just. I'd never worked on a game full time. It had always been part time with with contracting um, to to kind of keep the the, the finances going. And uh, I was like, well, this time I just want to want to contract for a while, save money, and then I want to work on a game full time. Um, so I, I worked with Play First a lot. Um, their uh, Dash series of games, Diner Dash, Wedding Dash, Gooden Dash, oh, okay. all sorts of Dash games. Um, and I also worked with, um, at the time, a lot of old Sierra developers were coming out with Kickstarters. Um, mm. You know, there was the Larry Kickstarter. There was a Police Quest one. There was um, 
uh, obviously Tim Schafer's Kickstarter as well, and not not a Sierra. Um, so I reached out to um, Corey and Laurie Cole, um, the Quest for Glory developers, and said, "Oh, you know, you should do a Kickstarter." And they looked at MacGuffin's Curse and said, "Oh, we've been wanting to do a, a roguelike type game." Um, so uh, and we'd love to use your engine, you know. And I said, oh, "Okay, I'm on board." So um, we ran that Kickstarter. That was Hero You. Yeah. Um, and then uh, that managed to hit its funding goal, and uh, and for, and then things things changed on the game, um, specifically the art style and the perspective. And um, it turned out that that my projections for um, having the game done um, were just thrown out the window. Um, and at the time, I was I was contracting. I was still trying to build up my my my, my funding for my next game. Um, and I said to them, I said, "This game is going to take a lot longer than you know with this new style. Um, mm. I'm too expensive to keep on. Um, you know, you should you should probably find someone else to develop it um, because we're not going to be able to hit these targets." And they said, "Well, we'll find more money." And um, I'd just been part of a lot of studios that had collapsed that had said the same thing. And I just went, "No, look." I want to leave it with you. I don't want to take any more of your money. Save that for a, another de- developer. And so um, they did eventually uh, develop it, and and it came out. Um, but uh, you know, as as part of wanting to just do something that that brought in the most income, I started looking at um, US based tech companies. Um, and so the the idea was, oh, I'll go over to the US for a couple of years, build up some money, and then I come back and I'll I'll, I'll develop another game. So I ended up uh, moving to uh, Washington um, and worked at Amazon Game Studios um, on uh, a number of prototypes that never saw the light of day. Uh, I think we were looking to try to make a Fortnite killer before Fortnite was a thing. Mm. And, uh, and then I worked on their Lumbiard engine and I was in the, the VR space. Um, so the VR side of the Lumbiard engine. And, um, and then as a result of my work there, I ended up moving to Apple um and worked on their first um ar app which was the measure app um if you look if you've got an iphone you'll see you might have an app on there that says measure and so that was my app in in conjunction with a lot of other people um but um and uh so then i think it was in 2018 so i'd I'd been in the us for four years from 2014 to 2018 and uh when i came back i i looked at you know what what am i going to do um, you know, we've got some money now. I can work on a game full time. Um, so I looked at um, uh, an idea that I'd been writing. I spent six months uh, in 2014 writing this idea for what was going to be the next adventure, which um, was Warp Frontier. So I planned out the world, the story. I gave it lots of love, the characters, the twists and turns. And uh, I really, really put a lot of effort into the story and I was really happy with it. And when I got back in 2018, I started reading about it. I'm like, I, I still think this is the right way to go. I think this is the way forward. Um, and, but um, in, in another twist, I didn't end up working on it part-time because I got a contract from play first um, that I was just going to do for a year and then work on the full-time, but it ended up extending and extending and extending. And um, so I still haven't managed to work on a game full time yet, so that's why <laughs> War Frontier took about three years um, to develop, um, and probably it's probably about eighteen months part time. So it's mm. it's my biggest game, and um, I tried to go for some funding rounds, but as I said, the indie scene in Australia has exploded in in both size and quality, and so 
um, I missed out on, on getting funding this time, but I believed in the idea so much. You know, I talked to my wife and I said, look, we just need this much money to fund it. Um, you know, if we can pull that together, I, I think I can make it back. So this is the first project that I've self-funded. Um, I've put what I would say is a significant amount of money for an indie project um, in term, and also my time. So there's, uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of, um, a, a big risk I've taken on this project. Um, and also a lot of myself I've put into this project. The, the, the main character kind of parallels me in, in certain ways. Um, you know, he's of a similar age and, you know, um, the, uh, struggling with the, um, well, I'm not struggling with uh, the family in the same way that the lead, lead <laughs> character is, but um, it's it, it's it's the, the the pull between kind of responsibility to to, to care for family and 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 what you want to do. So it parallels like wanting you know um, the, my desire to be a game developer, you know that that may not may not pay off versus doing you know decent paid work that that you know brings in the, the finances. And there's always this pull, this balance. Uh, I mean, I, I might have ended up wasting, you know, 18 months of, of my life on, on this game. But um, uh, I, you know, you, you just have to have this um, naive belief and I guess this um, a, a definite sense of ego that, oh, I, I think I can make uh, a game that people will like and is good. And you have to believe in yourself for, for such an extended period of time. It does it does get exhausting, but um, more recently I found uh, a community in the last three months uh, on Discord um, of mm. adventure game developers, which I wish I'd had for, for the last three <laughs> years. Because, <laughs> yeah, they've just been so supportive and and so you know just exactly what I need that social element because I, I developed this without anyone kind of really telling me if I was doing the right thing or doing a good job or or whatever and and you know it's only right at the very end that you kind of find it oh you know people do like it you know, are they just saying that i don't know um but i i wish i'd, I'd found this community earlier um it's it's really important <laughs> you know you're not the first developer to tell me that i believe it was tom hardwich who's making lucy's uh, dr dreaming and he said pretty much the similar thing that he was making the, um, his game with his wife, and then towards the end, he found out oh, of this great community of uh, you know indie developers and adventure game developers and fans who give some you know great advice and support. And that's what I found as well when I first started a podcast. That they're you know on social media and in Discord, and it's really positive, which is not what I which is not, you know, let's say Twitter is not always the most positive mm. of places. Um, but with the indie developers, not just with adventuring developers, but they really encourage each other and support each other and give each other suggestions. Um, so, you know, it's great that you discover them now. Um, just one thing, I think whatever happens with your game, I don't think you'll have wasted 18 months um, <laughs> of, of your game. I mean, it looks fantastic. I haven't played it, but it looks fantastic. Whatever happened, I think you this experience, you know, that you've you've gone through. And I think that this is something that's obviously very personal that, um, yes. you know, you've put everything into it and now you've managed to release it. Not everyone can do that. So I think whatever happens, <laughs> whatever other people yeah. say about the game, and I'm sure the vast majority will be positive just from seeing it and just from your previous games. But I think definitely you'll have learned some things and you take something away from 
uh, from the game, from the development, um, and certainly from the support of the other developers. Um, so certainly, I don't think it'll be wasted. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, but as, I understand as, where you're coming from as well. I mean, as exhausting as this development has been, um, I mean, I started off working 60 hours a week um, for the first wow. year, but then I had to, I had to cut it back to um, to 55. Yeah, and now I'm at about 50 hours a week, which seems really it's sustainable. Still a lot. <laughs> it's still a lot. Yeah, and I don't take public holidays or or, or you know anything like that. So I think I do you deserve about- at least one day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I do take about two weeks a year at Christmas time, um, mm. and um, I, I, sh- I mostly shut off on weekends, mostly. Mm. Um, so uh, you know, when I turn off my or the socials, um, they, you know, I'm gone. Yeah, um, so probably a good I, I idea. Really... <laughs> but um, in terms of development, I actually, you know, I've been developing games for almost twenty years now, and um, I, uh, I, I learned, uh, I still learned a lot on this development, and. Uh, as exhausting as it is, I'm really keen to, you know, get into the next one. Um, which so this what Frontiers planned as as a series of three. Um, oh, each nice. one of them stands on its own. Um, but uh, if this hits a certain targets, then then I'll start production on on the next one. Um, so I've got an outline for the next two, um, and I, I really like where they're going. So in the in the first one, the first what Frontier, we just focus on the uh, planet of Cetus, which is humanity's newest extrasolar colony. And Cetus is developed, it, it parallels Australia in a way. It's the newest, col- it's humanity's newest colony in space. Um, and it's, it's made up of people that essentially won a lottery to go there um, from Earth. So there's a lot of people from diverse backgrounds um, all coming together um, to, to make a, a a home for themselves in this remote community, which is sim- parallels Australia in a similar way, um, minus the white Australia policy of the <laughs> of the nineteen fifties. Uh, um, so it it actually parallels, you know, what my experience was growing up in Australia, which is um, a very multicultural society. You know, um, I went to school with. Um, people with uh, Vietnamese background, Cambodian background, um, Greek, uh, Italian background, um, Chinese. Um, and we all just went to school together. We were all just Australian. Um, you know, we, we might have eaten different food and that was, you know, kind of the, the extent of it. But, you know, I, I think growing up in, in that community, um, it really influenced um, so, so many things in my life. In, in my life. And, um, I think it really opens you up when you grow in, you know, an unhomogenous community like that. And so with what Frontier, I wanted to normalize um, people with many different backgrounds um, coming together, you know, with a, with a similar language, a similar kind of shared experience. Um, and so uh, I, I wanted to make sure that um, we, we weren't, we never had stereotypes in the game. Um, and Australian stereotype is one of the strongest ones that I was trying to avoid because uh, <clears throat> it's easily to fall into that uh, crowd pleasing trap of being an Australian stereotype. Um, <laughs> like a but hopefully, or... <laughs> Yeah, or, or, you know, the crocodile hunter or the <laughs> crocodile you know, Dundee or snake wrangler. 
or do you, I, I don't know, so, someone who likes uh, drink, drinking beer at a, at a barbecue or I don't know. It's like Ireland, you know, like the typical, stereotypical Irish person is, well, obviously, you know, usually drunk and, <laughs> and usually has like a leprechaun accent, which, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it sounds, you know, fantastic because I always look for something different, either in games that I play or, you know, stories in general, books that I read or, um, you know, films that I see. And this, this certainly takes all those boxes because, it's like, oh, deals. It's a sci-fi that deals with Australian culture, which I'm like, I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever come across that before. I mean, I'm sure that that exists, but I'm not sure I've come across something like like a hard sci-fi that deals with Australian culture, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, I, I really wanted to work with Australian actors, and I, mm-hmm. I wasn't able to on Charlie Roper and, and MacGuffin's Coast didn't have voice acting, but uh, I really wanted to work with local Australian actors. And it's funny because uh, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to get uh, work with actors in a studio. Um, I'll definitely do that this time. And then COVID uh-huh. hit and mm. we've been entirely remote the whole time. So I still haven't had that experience, but. Um, Hopefully the next games. Yeah. I, I was really surprised at the, the quality of the Australian actors. Um, Kevin Powell, who plays the lead character, Vince, um, he was, uh, he just got into the role in such uh, a deep way. Um, he was always asking me questions about the background and always redoing lines. And so he was working remotely and um, he had about 2000 lines, which is, which is a lot of, of lines to, to get through. And um, he just, he managed to keep them consistent throughout the entire um, recording. And he recorded them over several weeks. Um, and so, you know, his, his talent in being able to make the first line that he recorded sound in the same voice as the last line, I think is amazing. Um, and then Amy Smith, um, who's a phenomenal force, she plays um, three characters, including the ship um, voiceover. Um, she she uh, was, she, it's amazing how she can get into character. She can switch between, you know, broad Australian um, uh, or like Alexa type American, you know, North Pacific Northwest American, you know, on, she can, in, in the, the snap of her fingers, she's... Um, uh, and and just her ability to get everything right, almost every line right on the first take was just um, amazing. Um, then there's uh, Angela Tran who plays uh, four characters, but m- probably three more major characters. Um, she actually had a surprisingly good um, American accent, which I had to validate among several of my American friends before <laughs> moving ahead with her. But um, She's based in Australia, but a lot of her work comes from the US, so she has to be good at that accent. Um, but she plays uh, 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 Vince's uh, teenage uh, stepdaughter, um, as well as um, a kind of more of a uh, Silicon Valley tech worker type character and um, uh, a young kind of uh, punk kid. Um, and, yeah, she, all her voices sound, like, surprisingly different. Um, and I, I was really um, focused on getting authentic voices in in this uh, in this game. So when I need an American accent, I generally go to the US and um, you know try to cast from there. I have one Scottish character. Um, I don't want anyone doing a Scottish accent. I want someone speaking, you know, in in their natural accent. Um, and I went. Uh, I, I got recommended actors from Serbia 
to do um, some of the characters that have more of it. What I was looking for was kind of a generic Eastern European accent without being cheesy. You know, mm. I didn't want someone putting on, you know, the crazy Russian gangster accent. I wanted somebody <laughs> speaking more or less their natural voice. Um, and so uh, the casting was really important to me uh, that the people kind of reflected the characters that they were playing. Yeah, no, so it's great to hear that you go for authenticity because I'm sure if you see movies with uh, Scottish accents from, uh, you know, people from actors who are clearly not Scottish, that, mm-hmm. <laughs> or for myself at Irish, you know, seeing, um, you know, even great actors like Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks, but them putting on Irish accents, it's like, oh, Jesus, this is not good. So it's great to hear yeah. to go for, you know, authentic, you know, people generally speaking from those countries. And yeah, we get that a lot in Australia. You know, you can just hear a mile away if someone's putting on a bad Australian accent. And it's like, <laughs> why? We're, we're, Australians want to work, you know, just, yeah, you know, plenty it's not that great expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, although I have to say that generally speaking, from what I've seen in, you know, a Hollywood movie, Australian actors tend to have fantastic American accents. You know, think of like they Guy, Guy Pierce, Chris. Hemsworth and uh, is Kate Blanchett Australian? Yes. And yes. Nicole Kid. I mean, they're fantastic yep. actors. And you would never know that they're Australian. I mean, when yeah, you're I doing think... characters in, in American accents, it's. <laughs> I think there's, there's some benefit growing up uh, in maybe a smaller culture that, um, mm. you know, um, gets a lot of influence, cultural influences from a lot of different places. So Australia gets a lot of obviously culture from the US, but also from the UK as well. Um, and so we, we maybe can hear their accents um, in, in a different way. Um, in, um, I, I think if you, if you didn't grow up, you know, immersed in an accent, um, you can hear it in a different way. Mm. Um, but uh you know, that being said, I, I can't do a Scottish accent. My grandparents were, were <laughs> Scottish and, you know, I heard them speak every day. And because it was so normalized, I don't I don't know what they're doing that's different. Like, I, I just can't imitate them because it just feels normal to me. So I think I think you're good at imitating something if it feels if it sounds different to what you're used to. Um, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely. I mean, because I, I mean, I can't do accents, as as I've mentioned. I can barely do my own Irish accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, yeah, no, I think uh, it, it definitely makes sense what, what you're saying. And, um, and I don't want to keep you too long, but also I see that um, the soundtrack, I believe, is going to be good as well, based at least on the person who's doing it. Uh, what can you tell us yeah. about uh, person who's doing the soundtrack yeah so thomas regan is is doing the soundtrack for the game and um i first worked with thomas way back when i started brawson when i was working with dave gilbert on emerald city confidential um thomas has done the score for a lot of dave's games including unavowed and um i just i i, I thought he was brilliant like i really wanted to to work with him again I, i've met him a couple of times at gdc and you know, we've chatted about our kids over a beer and um, I just, I, I really, really wanted to work with him again. And um, on what, what frontier, because I was funding it myself, um, I had no restrictions. Normally when you get funding from a government organisation, you have to use a certain amount of Australian 
based mm. developers. Um, but because I, I, I didn't have that restriction, I was like, oh, I'm definitely using you this time, Thomas. <laughs> and um, he's just, he brings such life to, to every one of the tracks that he develops. And he, he's such a character to talk to as well. He's based in um, Denmark, I believe. I, I called him German once and that was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> based in Denmark. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I very much enjoyed working with Thomas. And, and next time, you know, I, I, we, we got uh, about 30 minutes of, of original music um, written for, for Warp Frontier. Uh, and then in the official sound, the the soundtrack, um, I, I remixed a, a number of tracks, and so there's an extra twenty minutes of bonus music, with tracks put together in um, a way that they're meant to sort of be listened to. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I I'm, I'm I'm hoping that if I get to make another game, I can ha- get him to write even more music <laughs> than. Um, than, than I did on Warp Frontier. Hopefully. And how did you work together? You know, because I know some people with the uh, composers to work differently. Some people work from the beginning. Others uh, ask the composers to come at the, at the very end. Uh, so how did you work, especially being in different countries and different time zones and continents that are working remotely? So how did you and Thomas work together on this game? Um, so we, we collaborated on Discord. So we had long-winded conversations about what, what I wanted for each of the tracks. And um, there was, uh, so there were, I guess, five kind of sets of tracks and these are mood tracks. So there was um, uh, love, melancholy, action, climax, and um, one was like a space kind of uh, atmospheric track. And so uh, they were more based off um, uh background scenery so it's like I, I gave him some of the art and also i gave him some reference to different movies um i have various movies um the expanse tv series mm. has a, a great soundtrack um i also sent him the dig um because i love that soundtrack mm-hmm. and um uh the original terminator soundtrack um so it's got this kind of 80s 90s 2000s sci-fi kind of thread throughout it um and you'll see in some of the tracks this wailing electric guitar and that's a very like 80s kind of throwback it's really cool i'm loving Um, everything i'm hearing right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then um there are a couple of tracks that are based off characters so then i would talk about you know the character backgrounds the character sheets and so he would create a track based off that um, one of the tracks um, for Colin, uh, his daughter actually plays clarinet um, on the track as well. So she's she's musically inclined as well. But um, mm. I, I, I feel like what composers do is just magic. You know, you, you basically give them a rough outline and then they come to you with like a minute of music. And it's just like, how did they do this? It's just, <laughs> where did it come from? Um, I, I think that's, that's some kind of magic. I mean, I, I myself play... Um, guitar and piano um but um i don't like I, i'm not at a stage where i can just come up with something mm. like that I'm, I'm working on improv but um i, I just i i still feel like it, it's magic to hear you know people just make something out of nothing yeah no it's, it's a mystery to me when I mean, i'm not musically inclined at all but it's a mystery to me how 
the, the, the musical notes, how people could come up with that and then just develop like this beautiful music, as you mentioned. So I am really yeah. in awe as well. Um, and certainly listening to the well, all the musical references you mentioned and the music of Unavowed, which he worked on. Um, I think you're on to a winner, at least with the soundtrack <laughs> and with everything else, I'm sure, as well. It's, and th- I wanted to ask as well, because I know I have to let you go, but this seems very different to the other two games that you worked on, Jolly Rover and MacGuffin's Curse. And, what, and you know, also in your notes, I see that you mentioned it's not a steampunk, it's not a cyberpunk, it's a hard dystopian sci-fi. So uh, first, first of all, why did you decide to make this um, game a, a sci-fi? And uh, yeah, and, and why, why did you decide to make it like not steampunk or cyberpunk? Um, but just make it sci-fi and so different to the other games. If that long-winded question, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess it goes back to the to the roots of Jolly Rover and, and not wanting to look like I, I can be compared to anything. Mm. Um, I, I feel like I've gone maybe too not too far, but I've gone way in the other direction. I was like, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to be like, oh, this is another this game or this is mm. another that game. I was like, this is this game, you know, like when something comes up, so. Mad Max is also an influence. And when Mad Max hit the scene, it was just so different. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the sets, the setting, the the story, it's just so different. I mean, Fury Road is is a masterpiece, oh, in, in my opinion. <laughs> it's so crazy, but it works. <laughs> exactly. And, so and it shouldn't like, work, oh, kind I, of, but it does. <laughs> so I, I think almost about myself in terms of George Miller, like Jolly mm. Rover was my happy feet. And then, you know, <laughs> what frontier is, is my Mad Max. Um, and I, I, I really loved. Um, so one of the comments I got from Jolly Rover was that the humor was relentless. And I took that to heart. I'm like, yes, it's, it's always there. It's like, you're always constantly telling a joke. It's like a stand-up act, Jolly Rover. Um, MacGuffin's Curse as well. You know, it's just that relentless barrage of humor and it becomes um, difficult to, to get a joke in there when everything's a joke. Mm. So I, I, I wanted to, um, there, there are some TV series that um, they're not funny, but they're very funny. Uh, one of them is Breaking Bad. Yes. So Breaking Bad <laughs> is really serious, but then it has these absolute laugh out loud moments of oddity that, that break at the same the, time. Yeah. <laughs> That they break up the seriousness, and I love that. And I was playing um, Broken Sword: Shadow of the Templars, and mm. they have that too. It's a, it's a serious game, but there's these like non sequiturs. There's these um, random elements that that just pop up every now and then, and so it's like a dry humor. And I was like, yes, I think that's the level of humor I want to go for. Um, the Sopranos as well also did a brilliant job of having this dry humor that just came up out of nowhere and punched you in the face. And so there is still humor in, in, um, in Warp Frontier. I, I can't help myself with that, but it's, it's, you know, it's more dispersed and it's, a, it's in, at times drier. Um, it, it could be, you know, um, more of an Australian or, or even a, a British sensibility with, um, with the humor and that, um it's it's not this relentless comedy but it's 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 kind of thought out and it's built up and then when it hits you know it hits and then it goes away again mm. um so that 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 was my challenge i guess to to inject humor but not in the in the same relentless way that i have been in the past 
Okay, well, I mean, I'm confident you you hit the mark based on your previous games, at least, and from what I've seen of the trailer and from what you're saying. Uh, now, regarding the gameplay, because I see you mentioned on the Steam page, at least, that um, there are different kinds of you know puzzles, like making decisions and environmental puzzles. So I was wondering if you could mention, obviously, without giving any spoilers, um, but what yeah. can you tell us about the gameplay? Um, yeah, well, it's your... A uh, traditional point and click in a sense, you have you have inventory items that you pick up and you can use them on the world. And um, you talk to to characters for to get um, uh, ideas for how to solve certain puzzles and to branch a story. And even talking to the characters is, is in some cases a way of solving a puzzle because you have to question them in a certain way. Um, each of the, uh, so I, I wanted this game to be, you know, we're in the YouTube age of, you know, people just watch a playthrough and then they go, oh, I've seen the game. Um, I don't need to pick it up myself. Um, I wanted to have a game that had lots of different little decisions that you can make that really affect the outcome of the game. You know, this whole choices matter thing. But it was more that like if, if somebody's watching somebody play a game on a stream, I want them to think, oh, I might have picked a different option there. and and I, I want to, you know, maybe get the game to see what happens with that different option. So, but then you can't just have choices that are there just for the hell of it. Mm. Um, when I when I make choices, I, I, I want them to to actually matter. So I guess the tagline could be choices actually matter. Um, <laughs> and so each each character has a, kind of a mood, um, how they feel towards the player. And that will unlock or lock off certain dialogue choices, and um, and it also unlocks or locks certain pathways towards the end of the game. So players, um, if they don't like you, they may not give you certain information. So you'll need to do something extra for them, which may make another player not like you. So there's this balance of, well, who do I want to to, to like me? This character or this character? And, and in some cases, it's a binary choice. You can't get everyone. You know, on side at the at the one time. At some point, you have to make a choice to go from mm. one way or the other. And the choices aren't. I, I think they're great. I don't think they're they're necessarily good or bad. There certainly are good and bad choices, but there are some choices that are more great, such as do um do I uh you know make this character like me even though it may betray this character, even though they might never find out about it. Um, so, and that, and that puts the onus on the player. Like, does the player want to be, you know, be the betrayer? Um, just even though someone might not find out about it. Um, I, and I'm talking about it in vague terms, I know. But, uh, of course, um, it's necessary, I think. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to trying it though, to see, you know, what kind of outcomes will I have or what kind of choices that I'll have to make because I read here that there are 16 permutations of the ending. Uh, yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, I think that sounds, uh, that sounds great. And again, I know I have to let you go, but again, before we finish, um, I see that this game is going to be available on different platforms. We've mentioned GOG and steam as well. It's going to be available on switch as well, I believe. Yeah. So it's on, it's on the switch now and you can go to the store right now and you can see it available on the store, not to buy yet. Um, it'll, it won't be available till the 28th of September. 
Um, and I'm going to, once it releases, I'm going to get the uh, a Linux and Mac version um, available. So they'll be coming out on Steam and, and GOG as well. Um, and I might make it available on the Mac App Store. And um, the reason I haven't uh, released on, on Linux and Mac um, immediately is because every time I make a build, there's a certain overhead to get it out to all the platforms and to add mm. Linux and Mac, it just, it's extra overhead and it takes away the time that I can spend developing and making the game better in this crucial period up to release. Mm, so no. they'll be released it's, after. It's impressive you have it on so many platforms, including GOG, which we mentioned. So that's kind of like a stamp of approval as well. Exactly. It's a validation for me, yeah. And on Switch, on all of these at the same time as well. And, um, and so I, I see as well that there are different additional features, um, correct? Like, so there's a developer commentary and achievements and mm -hmm. a hint system as well. That, um, so that's, uh, it, is that in the game itself or how does that Yeah, so work? The, hints work the hints work contextually. Um, internally to the game, there's a quest tracker. And so there's, you know, the quest that you're currently on and then there's branching quests. Oh, and okay. um, so- Yeah, I like uh, that actually. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the quest tracker, um, it, it affects uh, the dialogue options that you'll have with your, your kind of co-character, Mac the droid. And also when you move the cursor over the main character, he'll have an internal monologue that'll pop up, you know, in text above, like, oh, what should I be doing now? But then that also affects when you click the hit button, it, it gives you a hit for what you're currently doing. You know, it, it kind of figures out what where you are in the world, where you are in the story, and it gives you a hint based on that. But I will mention that just following the hints alone will not give you all the endings and will not unlock all the little things. So you still do need to pay attention. Right, we still um, do some work. <laughs> yeah, for example, there's there's a few key characters that can die in the game and the hints will not help you out to save those characters. You have to figure out on your own. And so oh. at the end, you may f find out, oh, I could have saved that character. I thought they were just, I thought they were, it was inevitable they were going to die. Oh, I'll maybe go back and see what I can do to, to make sure that they, they survive. Yeah. Oh, but I'm really looking forward to it. So um, that sounds really good as well, actually. That seems you can get a hint to get through the game, but not everything. We still have to <laughs> kind of figure yep. it out as well. Um, so yeah, that everyone should be able to complete the game. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so where can people find you online? I will include the links in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, so I'm, um, I, I'm probably most active on Twitter. Um, so that's at Brawsome, um, which is spelled B-R-A-W-S-O-M-E. You'll include the link. Um, there's a Facebook page, Brawsome Games. Um, there's also an Instagram, which is also under Brawsome Games. Um, and I have my website, which is www.brawson.com.au, which is an Australian uh, <laughs> extension. And Warp Frontier is, um, is available from the website or it's available from www.warpfrontier.com. Um, and uh, yeah, Warp Frontier passes the Google test. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's surprisingly difficult to get a sci-fi game, movie or book to pass the Google test. So yeah, definitely, um, that's an achievement by itself. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh well, that's great then, Andrew. Thank you so much for speaking to me. I know I kept you longer than 
uh, we could probably agree on, but I could speak that's to you That's a good thing hours. I don't have to go to the dentist. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. But I mean, I could speak to you for, for hours because, um, you know, you, you've certainly lived an interesting life and this game itself looks really interesting. We will be reviewing it, of course, on the podcast. Um, but um, I know that your day is just beginning. My day is ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. <laughs> this whole time you might be thinking still confusing me but um but it has been wonderful speaking to you and i hope that we will speak again best of luck hope i'm you know i'm sure this game will will be will be good and i hope it does well and i hope that you can get to make the second game and the third one me too yeah thank you it's... very kind i i appreciate those words yeah, um, no, ju- when you work in a vacuum you don't hear those words <laughs> <laughs> i know just on yourself no but definitely from the trailer it had me intrigued and I know you were working, you said, 18 months, three years, but it seemed seemed quick for me because when I heard about this game first and then I'm like, oh, it's releasing already. That was quick. But (laughs) Yeah. I I specifically stayed off socials for the longest time um, because Twitter was toxic for a long time um, Mm. and I didn't want to get back into it. But then I I discovered the Discord was nice. And Mm. so um, I'm sad that I didn't get into it earlier. Yeah, and a Twitter can be nice with indie developers, usually. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been think. nice so far, so yeah. fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there will be. Um, well, thank you so much, Andrew. I know I have to let you let you go, um, but it's been wonderful chatting to you. And, uh, well, we will be reviewing your game uh, hopefully next month. Hopefully, we'll see if time permitting. Uh, but we will mm-hmm. definitely be reviewing it uh, as soon as we can. Uh, next week, I believe, we'll be talking about, we'll be reviewing Lake and Black Sad, and uh, hopefully whatever other games. We'll try and include, um, uh, well, no, I don't think we'll be able to include Warp Frontier yet because I want to experience it. <laughs> uh, but we'll be reviewing it at some point. And um, yeah, and hopefully we'll be able to chat soon if I'm in Australia or you're in Ireland or if we meet in Scotland, <laughs> where our forefathers were. Um, hopefully, hopefully we'll get out. Yes, definitely. Hopefully we can get out from this COVID. Um, and that's so so thank you, Andrew. It's been wonderful chatting with you and the very best of yeah. luck with your game and of the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are an adventure game developer or adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you
Thank you.